Hello and welcome to the Travel Agent Interview. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and I am privileged today to have one of my very first grade school friends, Joel Gratz, on the conversation with me today. Thank you and welcome, Joel. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Joel, you have a really neat app. We like to talk technology on this show, especially technology that helps us travel better and get the most out of our trips. And yours is particularly interesting to people who enjoy winter sports. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself to get started and, you know, include how you got started loving snow, loving winter sports and roll into your education as a meteorologist? Yeah, you bet. So I grew up absolutely loving snow. Most meteorologists uh, become a meteorologist because they have been touched by some weather event in their childhood. And for me, it was my love of snow during elementary school, going skiing in Pennsylvania in the United States, and and looking for days off from school thanks to snow. So I uh, I knew from an early age, elementary school, that I wanted to be a meteorologist I loved skiing. I loved snow. I studied meteorology at Penn State University, and um, and, and I kind of kept going with with this meteorology and and skiing. But I didn't know exactly um, what I would do with those things. And at first, I was a hurricane and earthquake insurance uh, uh, insurance analyst. So I would work with insurance company with an insurance company and help them price hurricane insurance and earthquake insurance. And mm. I thought that was a neat mix of business and weather. And, um, but, but it didn't miss one big thing, yeah, which was snow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I, I had moved out to Colorado for grad school and for this company and I was skiing and, uh, I, I was taking an interest in predicting snow so I could get the best ski conditions because I'm a selfish only child and <laughs> I'm usually thinking about myself and my my ski conditions, but I had a lot of friends that also like skiing powder, and they would always email, text me, call me, Joel, where should we go skiing for the best snow? So I finally put them all on an email list and sent them a forecast one week and said, this is where you guys should all go. You don't have to all text me. This is this is what I'm thinking. And that email list uh, turned into uh, <laughs> a great business, which is called open snow. So I I had just pursued that for a couple of years, kind of nights and weekends. Uh, People kept adding themselves to the email list. I kept writing. And then eventually I I looked around and I said, well, there are a few other businesses out there that do condition forecasts for uh, specific sports like surfing. and, Mm -hmm. And there were others for skiing too. And I said, well, you know, there's a business model here. So if people seem to like it, I, I bet maybe we can make a go out of it. So that was the genesis of, of open snow. And, uh, and, and I started that in the first forecast in 2007. And uh, I've been forecasting for Colorado and around the world ever since. So that's pretty exciting. And it's not just a website or an email list. You actually have an app that people can have on their phone or they can start in the springs and start driving and they can open up their app and they can say, this is where we should go. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a full fledged deal. What started at as a, as a little email list just on, you know, my computer is now a full website, uh, full uh, mobile app for iPhone and Android. And we have a, a team of people that work with me uh, to develop all of this stuff. I am, I'm pretty good at, uh, at a lot of things, but I'm not nearly good enough at 
at programming to develop all of this myself. So we've got a, a great team that, that helps, and they also all love snow uh, and weather. We're all uh, super nerdy about it and enjoy it quite a bit. So how big is the team? How many meteorologists are you like the go-to guy? So I started the company. We have uh, we have two programmers, one for mobile apps and one for, for website. Uh, both of, One of them is actually a degreed meteorologist. The other one took uh, a couple years of classes in uh, meteorology before switching over and working on computer science. So That's perfect. Uh, even, yeah, so even the people that do our technology – have have kind of a love of, of weather. Everybody loves skiing and snow. We have uh, an advertising salesperson full time. We have a, another person who does all of our operations. Who uh, did uh, schoolwork in meteorology and uh, is also a lifelong skier. And then so those are the full time people. And then what's fun is we have forecasters in different locations, uh, mostly around the United States. So mm-hmm. I'm I cover Colorado. We have somebody in Utah. Somebody in Tahoe, somebody in the Northwest, somebody in Idaho and Montana. And these folks are local folks that have a background in meteorology and no skiing and write every day with uh, a local forecast. So it's not just that I am, you know, sitting here in Colorado and then forecasting for a bunch of areas that I don't have intimate knowledge of. Mm -hmm. We actually have people uh, across the country that are, uh, are locals and, and that type of experience is really key because it's hard to sit across the country and, you know, know all the details that a local does. So we've gone out and find uh, local forecasters and uh, they're the, they're the household names in, uh, in their area. Awesome. I know somebody's listening saying, are you hiring? Joel, are you hiring? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, probably our next hire, at least part-time would be more on the, uh, would be more on the computing, uh, computer programming side. It, what, what turns out to be really tricky is that it's very hard to find somebody with a true knowledge of weather, a true knowledge of skiing, and that can write and communicate well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not a lot of meteorologists out there, uh, or even weather forecasters, or, or you know, amateurs that really legitimately know weather. This is not like, uh, you know, I want to say accounting or, or other professions where there's just a lot. You know, of people, there's just not a lot of meteorologists um, that graduate every year. So it turns out it's pretty tricky to find people in a local area that kind of understand the science, understand skiing, and uh, and can communicate it. So we, uh, I'm always interested in finding uh, local folks, but it's it's tough for us to find that right combination. Okay, it does sound difficult, but you know, if you're listening, Joel wants you. Okay, I do. <laughs> All right. So how often are your snow reports updated? Sounds like uh, mornings. Yeah, so so there's two things that we do. Uh, there's snow reports and there's snow forecasts. Now, snow reports are provided generally by the resorts themselves, and it goes into a central database that a couple of companies um, do across the world, and then we pull that information. So mm-hmm. it's hard to differentiate yourself with snow reports because basically every app, every website that shows a snow report has access to effectively the same information. Okay. So we we show that and you can alert on it and get alerts on your phone so you can wake up earlier and you know go ski and take advantage of the snow. But our bread and butter is the snow forecasts and we are trying to help people understand ahead of time where and when they should go somewhere. So three, five, seven days out, where should you travel for the best snow? Or if you're already someplace, you know, can you make a slight adjustment 
to your location or if you're at a location for a week, which of those days might be best to go out with a family? It's warmer, it's drier, it's sunnier. And then which of those days might be powder days where the, the small kids might not like dumping snow in cold weather, but the adults might, uh, might love it. So sure. we're for, forecast or we're focused on the forecast and we update those every morning. Awesome. So on the app, you can look at some live cameras. Are those your cameras or are they the mountains cameras that you have feeds going to? Yeah, exactly. They are the mountains cameras because most of these mountains are either on private land or on land they control and lease from the government. Mm -hmm. And uh, so therefore, we don't really have the ability to just go set up our own cameras up on the middle of their mountain. They they control that territory. But most... uh, ski areas do make their camera feeds available to us. So we put those in the app and something that we have in the app that I find really useful because Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, a a snow nerd that is a 24 hour time-lapse cam. And you're like, all right, what does that matter? Well, it's really helpful to be able to look back and see over the last day when the snow has fallen, because most of the snow reports are given in 24 hour increments, which means that if you see a snow report this morning and it shows 10 inches or 25 centimeters. Uh, that is 10 inches or 25 centimeters that has fallen over the past 24 hours. So from the previous morning to this morning. Mm-hmm. Well, if that snow fell during the day, the day before, it all got skied up. Sure. If it fell just last night, then it's super fresh in the morning. So some resorts do separate that reporting out, uh, but I find those time-lapse cams to be invaluable because you can kind of, it's a, it serves as a check on the resorts and the reporting, so you're in control and you can see uh, when the snow actually fell. Yeah, that's good to know. Okay, so how many cameras, how many mountains are resorts are you listing? Do like how how far does <laughs> d- yeah how, how far <laughs> is open snows reach? Sure. So our bread and butter is the United States and in particular the Western United States. Mm -hmm. We do have, we do list every resort that we know of in the United States, in Canada, in Japan, and in most of the major countries in Europe, uh, Italy, France, Austria, Switzerland, um, and, uh, and a couple others. But, uh, our bread and butter is definitely, uh, the Western United States. That's where we have the most forecasters and, uh, and the most data. And, also the most uh, webcams. Gotcha. Is this a free app? Is there a paid version? What is the difference between the free app and the paid app? Yes and yes. So uh, uh, the majority of everything that people want is free, and we've employed the old freemium model. It's not old, but it feels old now. Huh. It's probably been around for 10-plus years, 10, 15 years, um, which means that you can you can view the app and the website for free. You can create an account, create a few favorite mountains to kind of shortcut your way to the information you want to see. That's free. And then if you'd like additional features like the time-lapse cams, uh, longer-range forecasts six to ten days out to get snow forecast alerts and, uh, and a couple other bells and whistles, which also includes turning off uh, the advertisements on the site and on the on the app, it's nineteen dollars for an entire year, three hundred and sixty five days. So this is a is a pretty reasonable subscription. This is not nineteen dollars a month. This is nineteen dollars a year. And so from a business model standpoint, we make money both from advertisers paying us to advertise on our website and app, mm-hmm. and then also from consumers 
who purchased this $19 subscription, which you can get either buy on the website or through in-app purchase on our, our apps. And it works uh, across both. So if you purchase on the website, works on the app and vice versa. And so we do make some money that way as well. I think that's really reasonable, especially if you're some guy who's got, you know, a, a, what I'm trying to say, a ski pass for a yeah. number of resorts. And you, I mean, you're on the weekend, you want to, you don't want to waste time. You want to get up and go. So I think it's great. Yeah, and, and most ski passes, you know, are going to run you 500 to a $1,000. So we feel like this is a pretty, uh, a pretty fair price. And, you know, we hear from people all the time. We hear from ski bums who love us, but are scraping by making yeah. no money. Uh, and you know, don't, don't pay us, but, but love what we do all the way to folks, uh, literally with private planes who said they would pay us many times more because they're, they're literally chasing snow <laughs> all over the place. So we're, we're trying to be accessible to, uh, to everybody and spread the love of powder. That's good. That's good. I thought you were going to say they're paying you to come with them to protect oh, the snow. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I always offer to do, uh, to do <laughs> forecasts if somebody wants to bring me along. That's right. So how is Colorado doing for snow? It was a slow start to the season. What's going on now? Yeah, so this is, uh, we're talking here at the tail end of the 2017-2018 season. Uh, this was one of the worst uh, beginnings and middles of a season in about the last 40 years, actually, in Colorado. Mm. That still means that we had resorts that were open. Um, but for, for the holiday kind of Christmas time uh, period, a lot of places were only about half open, um, if that. So mm. that was tough. But then the snow has made a comeback. We've had a pretty darn good February. And we've had most locations that are near or 100% open through uh, or starting in mid-January, okay. and uh, conditions have been pretty good. So, uh, you know, we- weather is tricky. Uh, you can look at long-term averages, but every year is slightly different, and this was just one of those bad years. So do you think, you know, now from all the studies you've done, do you think you can, with any accuracy, say next year is going to be similar or better, or you got to wait and see what the summer yeah. does? Well, uh, no, that's a, that's a good question. Generally, I, sh- I tell people that long-range forecasting is uh, incredibly difficult and generally impossible to get right. And when mm-hmm. I say longer-range forecasting, I even mean beyond about 15 days, even though we can maybe look at trends, warmer, colder, drier, stormier, it's really hard to even get that right beyond about 15 days. So when we're talking a season ahead, 6 to 12 months, it's virtually impossible. Now, there are little clues uh, most folks have heard of La Nina or El Nino, and you can throw those into into the equation, but it's still really tricky, and uh, and I don't have a whole lot of confidence to say, you know, a season ahead, even in the fall, to say, here's where you should ski this winter because this is where it's going to snow. We can kind of give you some odds, but oftentimes those odds don't work out. I will say, though, at least for Colorado, because we started – uh, this season as one of the worst in the last 40 years. The chances of next season being better than the beginning of this season are so good. Pretty high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty high. Not because there's any correlation but from year to year, but just from the law of averages, uh, it would be a pretty low probability um, to have another year uh, like we had this year at the, at the very beginning. All right, good. My husband's uncle will be happy. Uncle David, you'll be happy because they just bought a cabin near Winter Park. So 
Next awesome. year is going to be better. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other piece of that too, and we might get there later, later in the uh, discussion, but having a place to go, um, kind of gives you a little bit of peace because even if it's not snowing, you're going to find other interesting things uh, to do. You go snowshoeing, you go snowmobiling, you go hiking, mm-hmm. uh, cross country skiing. And so, uh, you know, rather than just, uh, I, I was going to say rather than chasing the snow and I'm a person that chases the snow, yep. but I also appreciate that kind of relaxing aspect of I'm here. I'm going to make the most of this. There are a lot of activities, not just skiing powder. And, um, and so especially also if you go back to the same spot year over year over year, uh, you get to know it really well. You get to um, figure out where those secret stashes are. So that when it does snow uh, quite a bit, you kind of got a leg up. So you just made me think about maybe like a spinoff for you, maybe a little rabbit trail for your app, like a good, like alternative things to do section of the app. Or do you have that? Well, we don't have that. We have definitely thought about it and it's, uh, it's on the list of, uh, 1,572, uh, you know, features that we want to, we want to build and think about, but, um, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, and it's kind of something I alluded to earlier too, which is not just, you know, when's the best snow, um, but trying to, trying to time out, uh, your activities, uh, because oftentimes the best snow is also not the best weather for kids, right. uh, or for beginners. And so people often will email me looking for advice on how to kind of navigate the weather based on their unique experience. So we've thought about it, but that's not included just yet. Okay. See, developer out there listening, listening, yeah. you need to call. Yeah, that's right. All right. So you skied some pretty incredible places in the world, including your honeymoon, which was a ski destination. Can you tell us some of your favorite domestic locations and maybe one internationally? Sure. I'm going to start international. Okay. Uh, uh, so my wife and I went on our honeymoon skiing to Japan and it was incredible. Japan in January and February statistically has the highest chances for powder of any kind of developed ski area in the world. Um, and it, uh, not ski area, but the kind of ski location, ski region. That's and interesting. So we went there. Well, and the reason is, that uh, it's it's effectively lake effect snow, but ocean effect snow, huh. meaning you get cold air coming from west to east off of Siberia. There's usually a lot of cold air in Siberia. Uh, the wind generally blows west to east. It goes over the Sea of Japan, the open ocean to the west of Japan. That area, that ocean uh, provides moisture into the air. Um, that ocean also never freezes, so it never cuts off the moisture supply. Huh. So you have cold air coming off of Russia. You've got uh, unlimited moisture from the ocean and it hits the mountains of Japan and it snows. And so while Europe and the United States rely on kind of specific, a storm to kind of go right over your area to bring snow, yep. Japan just needs a reasonably wind. strong wind yeah. from the West with cold air. And so it doesn't snow every hour of every day in Japan in January and February. That's, that's not a guarantee but just it snows a lot because you often have a cold wind. And so my uh, my wife and I were dying to check it out. And we went over there for about three weeks, actually. About half of that was uh, time we dedicated towards skiing. And about half of that was just being a tourist in Tokyo and Kyoto and, uh, and going around Japan uh, without skis and just enjoying the country. So that was – if you like powder – 
um, that Japan is virtually unbeatable um, in the world. But the resorts are reasonably small with reasonably small infrastructure, at least Mm. compared to what we're used to in the Western United States and in kind of the ski villages in Europe. So that's not a place to go to kind of think about this extravagant ski location with amazing hotels and 200 trails. And, you know, that's not exactly the deal. It's more about powder. Um, So internationally, that was quite fun. I've also, just to throw it back on the other side of the pond, uh, I had a ski trip to Verbier in uh, in Switzerland, which was just uh, magical. and Which is what I thought you were going to say. (laughs) There you go. It was phenomenal, and uh, I, uh, I had a friend who lived over there, and absolutely you need guides if you're going to explore the mountains in Europe. Uh, they're large. There's amazing terrain, um, but it's not exactly marked like it is in the western United States. So hiring a local guide is a very common practice and a very worthwhile one mm. um, throughout Europe. But, I mean, that's a totally different experience than the western U.S. and Japan. They're all vastly different. Uh uh, Europe is more about exploration, some bigger terrain, skiing from village to village or country to country even uh, mm. within a, uh, you know, a single day. So super interesting, just kind of vastly different than Japan and in the United States. And here in the U.S., uh, you know, I'm partial to Colorado. I've, I've had a lot of good times uh, here in Colorado. But uh, I, I also, you know, would give a shout out to um, if, if folks don't know exactly where to go or, or what to do. I often advise people fly to Denver or fly to Salt Lake City and then from there rent a car and drive and chase the snow. So from those areas, you can chase throughout New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, Utah. You can even drive west out to from Salt Lake City. You can drive out to Tahoe. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that's a really fun kind of way that if you're not set on a specific destination, you can go and then kind of do some last-minute powder chasing. Yeah, and as long as you're okay with whatever hotel room you find, you're good. Yeah, it's tough, right? That's so. But this it's very it's it's different for um, for people depending on their situation. So I get emails from single folks or guys trips or women's trips. They're like we just want snow, and then I, all the way to uh, you know I am a family. This is my kids' one week vacation. Uh, where should we go? Which gives us the, you know, which area gives us the most opportunity to not just ski, uh, but a cute town and go snowmobile touring and, you know, all sorts of other activities. So it really runs the gamut and, and ski trips are vastly different depending on uh, what people's goals are. Hmm. I need to find you a travel agent that you can just put people to save yourself some. Yeah, I wish I knew one. <laughs> yeah, save yourself some emailing. Just put them to somebody. I'll find you somebody because I need to know them too. So that's good. <laughs> Well, we like to tell funny stories on this podcast. Do you have a comedic ski story or a couple that you would like to share? Oh, I do. So I, I there's one that, that stands out in particular. So I was in college. Most good stories start that <laughs> I was way. Gonna say, this is how good stories start. Perfect. Yeah. So I was in college <laughs> and I was on the ski team. And the ski team was, we raced and, and we definitely tried to do well racing, but we also enjoyed ourselves and had some fun. And, um, and in addition to that, I, 
I was also trying to do really well in school because I really liked meteorology. And so I wound up in a position where I was just exhausted and tired all the time because I'd be staying up super late and I'd be skiing. You know, I'd be going to class the next day and doing mm-hmm. homework, and skiing and vice versa. You know, the cycle continues. So we went to a race uh, one weekend with the ski team and uh, I got on the chairlift after lunch and I, again, I was just exhausted. You know, I'm aver- averaging a couple hours of sleep a night for, you know, weeks. And I get on the chairlift and it's a chairlift in West Virginia. And it has, when you pull the bar down, it has a bubble over it. So it's basically covered to protect you from the wind or snow so that when you pull the bar down, it's, you know, it's a little You're warmer. insulated. Yeah. Snow. It's insulated. Exactly. So uh, I got on the chairlift after lunch by myself. And uh, it just worked out that I wasn't with somebody else. And I put the bar down and I was thinking, I was like, you know, this is really nice. Uh, this is about a 15 minute slow chairlift ride through the woods. And I've got this, this bubble over me and I'm going to put my feet up on, on the bar <laughs> and kind of wedge myself in. And I'm just going to take a nap. You know, I'm not going to take a nap, but like if I happen to fall asleep <laughs> spontaneously, you know, it'll just be really cozy and comfortable. And because my feet are up on the bar, uh, I'm not going to, you know, fall off the lift or something like that. Well, I guess I dozed off because I woke up when the chairlift went around the top. You know, the, it's called the bull wheel when it goes, when you're <laughs> supposed to get off and then the chairlift goes around and goes back down. Well, I woke up with a jolt, um, when the chair I was on was going around the top of the, the bull wheel and heading back down. Now, um, almost every ski lift has a little, a wand that if for some reason you don't get off the chairlift, um, and your, your feet are hanging down, when you go around this bull wheel, you'll kind of just kick the wand and that it's just a very lightweight thing, but it trips a wire that stops the lift so that, you know, you don't go all the way back down and you can get off. Well, because my feet were up on the bar kind of wedged in, I never kicked that. And so by the time I realized what was happening and by the time the lift operator realized what was happening, cause he couldn't <laughs> even really see me cause I had the bubble down. Um, I was on already on my way back down. So that was a 45 minute lift ride, 15 minutes up, 15 minutes down, 15 minutes back up. And the best part was that behind me were the 150 other racers from the other schools in my school that I knew. And so we're, you know, they saw me going down the lift. I told them I fell asleep. And so word kind of got out and then I had uh, the entire conference kind of making fun of me, watching me ride this slow chairlift down uh, because I fell asleep. So uh, lots of fun, very enjoyable memory. Nobody got hurt, just a lot of laughs. Oh, that is pretty good. And they all cheered you on the next day. That's good. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, let's see. Uh, so we have both tourists that listen, like we have a lot of consumers that listen to find their next travel idea. And we also have some travel agents that listen. But would you give us some advice, maybe uh, just in general, for planning a ski vacation? Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about this in pieces, but I would say that the number one thing to start with, in, like most travel, is what is your your goal as a person, as a family, um, as a group? That could range from we want to ski the best snow. We don't care where it is. Uh, could be I want a family trip and I want somebody to learn how to ski. Uh, it could be total reduction of stress. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want the easiest travel logistics possible. I just want to be in a nice condo or cabin in the woods, in the snow, relaxing. And, I, you know, the ski quality, while I hope it's good, it's not even the biggest deal. I just want to relax for a couple of days. So the first thing to do is figure out the answer to that question around goals. And then 
you can start to kind of work backwards and figure out where, uh, you know, what locations uh, fit those goals. So for me, most of the people that are looking at open science, I don't want to say most, but uh, the majority of, of, of uh, or a lot of people that catches their attention for open snow is powder and they want powder. And what I generally tell people is because we say long range forecasting beyond about 10 to 15 days is incredibly difficult. Um, I tell people to make the least regrets uh, decision that if powder is really important to them, that they need to either wait until maybe seven days out or so to get an idea of what's happening, or they need to book to kind of a central area mm-hmm. and then know that they can do a little bit of chasing, a little bit of driving um, to, or, you know, a tour or something like that uh, to find the good snow in that region. So I, and I, and I tell people, you know, cause so many people will book a ski trip and then they'll be obsessed with the weather leading up to it and, and hope, hope, hope that it's going to snow, snow, snow. And I get it because I've been there and I'm still there. Yep. Uh, but you're kind of just setting yourself up for a bunch of stress because none of us can control the weather. And if the entire point of your ski trip is to ski the best snow, um, but yet you're locked into kind of a specific week, um, you, you know, that's <laughs> you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for, for a little bit of an issue if it happens not to snow. So I generally tell people, to, to be really clear with themselves what they're going for and to make sure they have um, a bunch of options, whether it's chasing powder or, uh, you know, I've talked about this before, but snowmobiling super fun, snowshoeing super fun, um, trying, if you know how to ski, try snowboarding or vice versa or try telemark. You know, so if it's not skiing, you know, if it's not deep powder, uh, give yourself a, a little uh, opportunity to try something new, and uh, that usually spices it up for folks. So two things. Can you name a few central locations you would tell people are good starting points for, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of venturing out? And Mm -hmm. then have you tried those fancy ski shoes I've seen? Ski shoes? I'm going to go back in reverse order. I have not seen ski shoes. The most I know is that when we were uh, kids, there were these things called snowblades and big feet, and they were maybe two feet long, and so they were not much bigger than your your foot. Um, So they were kind of like gigantic not ice skates, but like tiny skis or like gigantic skates. But I have not seen these ski shoes. They're much smaller. It, it's literally, huh. it looks like a shoe, like you strap on a shoe. It looks terrifying, but also yeah. awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tracker ski shoes. Interesting. Um, well, I will, uh, I'll, I'll add that to the repertoire, um, of things that I need to try. In, in terms of, in terms of a central area, uh, if we're looking for the Western U.S., um, and, and even Canada for that matter, uh, like I said, Denver and specifically Salt Lake City is really, really useful. Um, Salt Lake City gives you the ability to ski Utah. You can come east to Colorado. You can go north to Wyoming. And I know it sounds far, but you can actually just go west over to, to Tahoe um, as well. So if, if you absolutely have no idea um, you know, where, where the good snow is and you have to book a long time in advance, but, uh, you have the ability to kind of rent a car and chase. That's a pretty good spot. Colorado also gives you the ability to ski Colorado or going to Denver gives you the ability to ski Colorado, uh, Wyoming and New Mexico as well. So that's not a bad, uh, that's not a bad play. If you're going to go up into Canada, uh, a lot of folks will, will book into the Banff area, which gives you the ability to ski Lake Louise, uh, Sunshine and, and Norquay, or you can go a little bit further west and you can go to Revelstoke. Uh, the only challenge with Revelstoke is, um, it's, you know, it's a decent drive from Revelstoke over to, to Banff. 
Um, so it's hard to kind of do that in, um, you know, ski one and then, uh, go to the next place that day. Um, but Banff, uh, the Banff area, which is Lake Louise, Sunshine, uh, ski areas, and then also over to Revelstoke, those are, that's a pretty good region. Uh, and you can also go up, uh, up north to up to Jasper as well. So if you got a couple of days and you want to head up to Canada, um, that's, that's a pretty cool spot. Whistler is a phenomenal mountain, but that's closer to the coast and kind mm-hmm. of once you're at Whistler, like, you're at Whistler, right? You're yep. not, it's, it's a long distance, um, to another place, which is fine. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of going somewhere and relaxing and not necessarily always chasing. Um, but you just gotta kind of know what you're getting into. Yeah, that's great. What about tips for parents packing for their kids to ski or advice on where to rent skis? Maybe is it better for the mountain or should they do it locally? Tips and yeah. thoughts on parents for kids. Yeah, and I I now have a a little kiddo that's not uh not yet on skis, but I'm starting to think about yeah. the, the ski life with um with kids and so this is a very pertinent question. Mm-hmm. Uh so for for young kids, it's all about comfort and convenience. That's that's it. So um if you the the, the least amount of logistics you have to deal with probably the more enjoyable for you and the more enjoyable for the kids. Mm-hmm. So staying closer to the mountain or a quick bus or shuttle ride uh, away or f- even flying into a nearby airport versus flying into a big city and then having to drive two, three or four hours. Mm-hmm. can I know that can be more expensive, but when you cut down on the logistics, you have better time because the kids are less stressed um, and everything kind of works a little bit better. So in those situations, sometimes it's very useful to spend a little bit of extra money um, for that convenience, especially when the kids are um, are a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. From a, you know, the other thing is watch, watch the weather forecast. Um, lessons are expensive and they're wonderful, but they're expensive. And so rather than putting your kid in a lesson when the temperature is very cold and it's snowing, you know, put it, put your kid in the lesson the next day when it's sunny and warmer and so they'll have a better experience. Um, you know, the kids are not necessarily going to care, especially early on about the exact snow conditions. They just want to go out there and not be, uh, be super cold. So, um, that's from a kid standpoint, from a, a ski rental, uh, thought. There are a ton of options. Uh, you can often find rentals between the airport in towns before you get to the ski area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can often find rentals with the ski area itself or with your hotel. And then there are a lot of companies now that do door-to-door uh, deliveries of rentals. So you can just reserve everything in advance and they'll come to your condo or chalet, your hotel room, and they'll bring skis and boots and help fit you up and get you all situated and you don't have to go anywhere. That sounds so awesome. Are, it, is, it is very cool and that segment's been growing, uh, been growing quite a bit. And so every location is a little bit different in terms of pricing. But I would say this, again, is one of those things where if you're just going for a couple of days, um, you know, maximize your fun time and minimize the logistics. And so, sure, if you're staying in a hotel with ski rentals in the hotel, sure, absolutely do that. Um, but otherwise, maybe check out uh, some of these um, uh, delivery services because it's uh it just cuts down on one listen skiing 
is a logistical schlep and, and hassle. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a lifelong skier. I, I love skiing. I, my family and my friends, like this is what, this is what brings, you know, all of us together. But I will be the first to say that even since, you know, I've been doing it for 30 years, it's still a schlep and I know exactly what I'm doing for folks that just do it once or twice a year. It is a major schlep. So whatever you can do to cut down the logistics, uh, do it because it will just make your four or five days that much more enjoyable. I like that you busted out the schlep. That was good. Yeah, it's a schlep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's a Pennsylvania word. Okay. <laughs> Besides the Open Snow app, what gadget is a must-have for you right now or for people that are really into skiing and need to have their gadgets with them at all times? Sure. This is going to be super low-tech. That's uh, cool. Heat. Heat. Um, so if you ski a bunch, you can get heaters in your boots and you can actually get heated gloves now mm-hmm. that have a rechargeable battery, which is uh, super cool. Uh, there's a co- bunch of companies. I know Hestra uh, makes a, makes a good pair, but, um, there's a bunch of companies out there. Um, but if you, if you don't own all of your gear or you don't, you know, want the fanciest gear, that's totally fine. Go to a local hardware store or just when you, you know, a ski shop, when you, when you get to the hill and buy a couple packs of, Toe warmers and, uh, and, and hand warmers and they're, you just take them out of the plastic pack and they last for four to six hours and it will be, it's just a godsend when it's cold outside because if your hands and feet are cold and you're not happy, you're not happy. So these things are maybe a buck a pack. It's probably the least expensive thing that you'll pay for on an entire ski trip. Uh, but I, no matter where I go, even if the temperature is forecasted to be pretty warm, um, I almost always have them on, and even if it's really warm, I, I still put a pair or two in my pocket because even if I'm warm, somebody I'm with might not be, or the kids might not be, and people will love you if you have, you know, quote unquote, an extra pair of hand or foot warmers. You're like um, the mountain them. mom. Yeah, You're so mountain. prepared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I love these things, and I think the the type that I have, I have no stock in this company it's called Hot Hands. I actually just get them on Amazon because I go through so many mm. um, a year. I get big packs of you know thirty, forty, fifty at the beginning of each season, and we're good to go. But if you don't need that many, just find them at any ski shop uh, when you get to town, and it's just so useful to have rather than you know because picture this. Sure, most mountain chalets, you know, or, or lunch spots will sell them. But if you're super cold, why have to spend 20 or 30 minutes longer to get up the chairlift to ski over, take your gear off to go inside, uh, you know, and then and then put these in? You'd rather just have them with you so that your hands are warm from the start. Don't get cold. Prevent the cold from the beginning, and mm-hmm. you'll have a wonderful day. So my not very techy gadget are. <laughs> Hand and foot warmers. Oh yeah, I'm with you there. I hate to be cold. Mm. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that we might have forgotten or that you want to announce or put forward? I just don't want to end the podcast without giving you a chance to talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> well, well, since this is not necessarily a weather snow science podcast, I'll mm-hmm. save the listenership from, uh, <laughs> from, from hours of, uh, of conjecture around how cool snow is. Okay. But I, I, I will say that, um, you know, like we talked about skiing, I, I love skiing. I'm a lifelong skier. My, neither of my parents skied. They just took me skiing when I was four because they thought it would be a cool thing for me to try. I loved it. They became skiers and effectively my life 
revolves around skiing, friends, family, business. It's all, you know, what I do outside um, for pleasure, it's, it's all skiing. So I am a massive proponent of skiing. I think it's super fun. Um, and, and you can get a workout too if you mm-hmm. want to go hiking, go up. So this is not just about, you know, downhill and then, you know, having drinks and, and eating. You can absolutely stay in shape skiing. Um, but I would, I, I'm also, like we just talked about, the first to acknowledge that it is a schlep. Um, to get especially a family uh, out to the slopes. So whatever you can do to minimize rushing and to minimize the logistics, the better. I'm also a pretty um, thrifty person, and so I very rarely would advocate for spending more money on anything. But this is one of those things, especially when the kids are younger or when you're dealing with beginners. There's so much going on. There's so much anxiety that if you can spend a little more money and cut down on the logistics and give them more time to relax and enjoy being outside and sliding around, mm-hmm. um, then you might, you know, you'll have a better vacation. You might have a skier for life. And then later, when everybody's more experienced, of course, you can kind of push it and uh, uh, and, and maybe then make logistics a little bit harder. But especially initially. The more relaxing, the better, the happier, and uh, you'll be doing the sport for a long, long time. Well, thanks, Joel. I had a lot of fun catching up and hearing about open snow. If you are a skier, we'll put all the information in the podcast show notes, links on how you can get to the website and on how you can download the app. And Joel, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right, until next week, this is Megan Chapa of the Travel Agent Interview saying good night. Good night.